Hello, world. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. 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 Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. Can you believe it's already September? I mean, where has the year gone, guys? Seriously. Anyway, I am honored and thrilled to share part one of my chat with this week's guest, Barbara Muschietti. She produced the It remake and the much-anticipated sequel, It Chapter 2, which comes out in theaters this Friday. I'm not gonna lie, I don't really enjoy or do scary movies. They are not my cup of tea. Too many childhood traumas from my older brother. But everyone and their mother told me I just had to watch the first It remake. So I did, at 11am on a Tuesday with all the lights on in my apartment. And honestly, I loved it. Yes, it's scary. But if you remove the horror, it's just a really well-written and well-acted coming-of-age story, which I'm a sucker for. We're very alike, actually, Barbara and I. We both came from South American countries, we both got our start in commercials, and we both somehow jumped the fence into the fortress that is Hollywood. I loved every second of my chat with Barbara. I'm definitely going to go see the movie when it comes out this Friday, and I hope you will too. Until then, here's Barbara. Because when I was in Barcelona, I was walking around one night, and I like, you know, can't escape production anywhere yeah, I go in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm like turning a corner, going to a bar, and there's a full-blown production and all the trucks. And I was like, oh, like it's so fluent here. It seems like there's a lot of it. Well, we had, I mean, the reason why we camped in Barcelona, Andy and I, is because we opened our production company and we had a very successful production company for, you know, 13, 14 years. And what were you guys doing at the company? What kind of work? So we owned it yeah. and it was our company. I was producing, he was directing. Andy's niche um, was humor, mm. of course. And <laughs> um, we did, you know, commercials for you know, every single big brand, you know, from, you know, uh, Coca, the Coca-Cola company, PepsiCo. Um, for the European market, mostly? No, for every like, market. Mm. You know, um, we worked for every market. Sometimes we shot in Barcelona. Sometimes we shot, you know, yeah. we shot in South Africa, in Argentina a lot. Um, we shot around the world and it was an amazing school for us. It was it it was just I, I always recommend you know when people ask me about commercials I'm like go do commercials it's yeah. an amazing school with no big risk you know yeah. because there's no box office to penalize you so yeah just go for it well I'm producing a commercial right now and it's it's very much the thing where the it's the same it's a, it's very similar to prepping a feature but it's you're shooting for two days and it's a client facing job we're very right alike, so there's a actually. lot more sort of ego and hand holding and making sure that there's the right flowers at the prepo meeting and all this kind of stuff that the client likes because god forbid you have the wrong flowers that will I'm derail having ptsd right everything. now <laughs> but i think it teaches you an important lesson in in managing people and personalities which is an invaluable skill set right for for anything in life but especially this business especially production because it moves so fast it's such a high 
like pace, high stress environment that it teaches you that lesson. And if you don't like the people you're working with, it has a very specific end date. And the good thing too that I've experienced is you can kind of hand select the people that you like and like this coordinator and that gaffer and that makeup artist and you sort of bring them up with you into other factors of the business. So yeah, and it's all it's you know it's not only repeat you know it's repeat bis- business and commercials which is glorious and it's not only on the production side it's it's also on the agency side that when an agency loves you you're gonna get their love over and over and you're you know you've already you you've pre-established a hierarchy or how things work and yeah. it's great well and as someone who started in indie movies when you get that love financially as well (laughs) i'm getting paid what a lot of money i could pay my bills and have savings what is this life i think it's a great balance like i feel like i have found a pretty good sort of balance of doing about a feature a year and then supplementing it with branded content and commercials and short form stuff that because i want to work with those people and it's good people doing good things it's not only for producers but i have to say um looking at andy's trajectory yeah by the time we made Mama. In 2013, um, right? The short? We shot it. No, actually, we shot the short in 2009. Then we shot the film in 2011. So by the time Andy shot Mama, uh, he was a first-time director, clearly. But he had directed full sets for about 600 days that is very unique to have a first time director that has that kind of um directing experience because as we know you know directing yes there's the art of it but also there's this massively important element which is to manage human beings to mm-hmm. manage a set where you know if you are doing you know, even if you're doing an, you know, indie film, you're not going to go down from, you know, 30 people. And that goes up very fast. And one day you turn around and there's 250, 300 people looking at you in the morning (laughs) going, what are we doing today? Yeah. Um, So it's a lot of responsibility and pressure, right? So the earlier you get used to it, like I said, especially in commercials, because they are these sprints, these little quick marathons that you can get your feet wet, you can learn how to deal with all of those eyeballs looking at you being like, what are we doing? Where are we going? It's raining. What's the plan? Like, and you just kind of get that part of your brain that has to constantly creatively problem solve. And I think it's one of the misconceptions, I think, of directors as well, especially I'm curious to dig in into your relationship with your brother working together. But, you know, directors have to the best directors will come to their producers and they also strategize creatively in how to solve whatever problems are at hand. You know, Um, and I think that's a really important skill set that anyone should have. But especially when you're sort of the top of the food chain, so to speak, right? The, you're the person that everyone's looking to for answers. You have to be able to think on your feet and come up with the answers and the solutions that are going to work within the confines of whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. And, you know, the more you work, the more you get to know uh, wonderful people and the better you get at hiring amazing <laughs> collaborators yeah and that is absolutely priceless i can say that there's i'm not gonna mention them there's four or five people um that i hope i never have to do anything without them Mm. because they are well starting with my brother although we you know we produce together and we produce other directors but 
crew members there's there's some crew members that have saved my culo <laughs> again and again and again so, yeah 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 amazing <laughs> cool well i did a lot of research on you and you know there's a lot of great stuff out there about you talking about projects. My point and what I'm trying to do is learn about you as the producer and your story and your mm -hmm. journey. Someone looks at you through your Instagram, through the red carpets, through the lens that they believe uh, of how accomplished you are because of what you've done in your career. And they have a very myopic, one-dimensional perspective of what it is and what it takes and what it means to be Barbara and to be in your shoes and do the work you do. And so you know, we don't need to make it a therapy session necessarily, unless you want to. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, really sort of shining a light on that on the real, real, like the challenges of being you in this world and the, the blessings of it, you know, it, this to me is is mentorship, right, in a way and getting to have this conversation with you and share it with all these people and getting them to hear your perspective, your journey, your story, and how it impacts people. Like to me, that is inclusion in a way in an industry that is all about sort of raising the, 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 the gates of how you get in, you know, and if you, like, I feel like I somehow jumped over the gate and they're like, all right, we'll just deal with you. <laughs> like I got into the castle somehow. I'm not inside inside, but I'm like percolating, you know, and they're like slowly hey, letting me you're, in. You're inside, you're inside. <laughs> maybe you haven't realized you're inside yet. Perhaps, but, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way, but maybe that keeps me sort of humble and bright eyes like I feel like because we're recording this live from the Warner Brothers lot in uh, LA in Burbank I should say but I feel like the moment you step on a lot and you're no longer just blown away by the fact that you get to be here and do whatever it is you love and the history is the moment you shouldn't be in this business because it's those are the little seeds of moments of like gratitude so I just felt tremendous gratitude of like driving up and doing and being here with you so it's the best yeah. when you drive through gate four. I have to say, I mean, I've been like, consistently driving into this lot for four years. And um, still, every time I, you know, go into gate four and I see the water tank and the Burbank Hills in, you know, in the background yeah. and the back lot, um, I, it just gets me. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, especially because you're from Argentina. Yeah. And I, I love Argentina, which I know I'm not supposed to say as a Brazilian. Like, because, no. you know, there's all this like, whatever. I know, Brazil. I know, but there's all this like, oh, Argentina's and Brazilians. I think it's the soccer thing, the football thing. But I don't I don't play that. I've been to Buenos Aires. It's amazing. So, you know, since you're from Argentina, I think people like you and me who are not from this land, when we get to be here we're sort of like outsiders who get to be in the castle and you're like this is pretty cool it's you know um and by the way I, I love brazil so much that we're doing our first premiere in our tour in sao paulo <gasps> it's the when first one it is i believe it is on the 16th of august okay so in so by the no time, time this comes out you guys will already have done that how yeah. exciting super happy in um, Sao Paulo you said Sao Paulo nice. yes and then from Sao Paulo we go to Buenos Aires uh, mm -hmm. Miami LA Toronto London Hamburg oh and hopefully Tokyo that's uh, does it get exhausting to have so many premieres or is that it, a really fun part it is exhausting um, <laughs> it is but you know what's the most exhausting part for me um, mm. is like um, when, when you're going on you know on this junket premiere junket junket premiere it's you you have to have someone you know do your hair and makeup 
for like an hour and a half every day. And I don't know, honestly, how actors do it through their lives. I, I, it, it takes. So you don't like that part, the glam part. It's, it's just, I, you know, I need to be moving. I need to be <laughs> talking. And if they're putting lipstick on me, I can't. And I, and I love it. And then I see the picture and I'm like, thank God they did that. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, it's hard time for me. Yeah. It's, it's hard time. I just like, I think of, you know, Bill Skarsgård doing three hours oh, every time oh, he's Pennywise. I'm like, man, this, this, this guy deserves, you know, a, freaking monument yeah um so yeah but okay back to back our to you <laughs> back to to me and you know the fact that i was born and raised in argentina mm-hmm. um in a time uh, when there was a military process my childhood you know i i am a child of the process in the sense that um my childhood basically from six years old to 13 uh you know we grew up in a military dictatorship during those years of course any kind of art form um was a challenge artists tend to thank god to protest so there was a huge uh forced exile an artist mm-hmm. and huge censorship from the part of, of and repression from from the part of the military government, which meant that the film business was pretty much inexistent. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no Argentinian films during those years, except for very you know tongue in cheek safe comedies. Um, but most serious. Directors, actors, producers, um, musicians had to live in exile. There, a lot of them were living in Europe, some in Mexico. But you know, suddenly there was uh, what we called the brain exit. Mm. You know, so many people had had to leave. So, of course, growing up in that environment um, meant that you know, making movies seemed like something com- that you know people yeah. <laughs> did. Tens of thousands of miles away. But at the same time, um, we were exposed to a lot of, you know, Italian film and, uh, and American movies, of course. And um, that was just what made us the happiest, that and reading. So mm-hmm. Andy and I, who are 18 months apart, although his favorite joke is... Is he that, older? He's younger. Younger, okay. So he's 18 months younger than me, but his favorite joke is that I'm 12 years older than he <laughs> is. He loves it. He just laughs when he tells that joke. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you love No, and people joke. go, really? <laughs> but, you know, all our free time was devoted to books and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and our parents supported that because them themselves are readers and moviegoers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shared, we're still an incredibly close family unit, the four of us, and we shared that passion and our parents would take us to the drive-in also because they didn't have to get a babysitter when they would take us to the drive, right. <laughs> you know, the drive-in. So um, Andy and I have been forever imprinted and marked by the time 
our parents took us to see Close Encounters mm. of the kind in Buenos Aires at the you know movie theater at the movie yeah. theater so that kind of for Andy it was transformative um in the sense that I don't think Andy ever thought he would do anything but movies in the beginning I think he thought he was going to be more on the special makeup effects he would interesting create but this was I'm talking when he was like 10 11 mm. Then very, you know, very quickly he yeah. realized, no, I'm a director. Yeah. <laughs> um, me, my process was a little different. I was the older sister and I felt responsible for the well-being of the family. God knows why, because my parents were amazing parents. Uh, but <laughs> I thought I had to do something serious. And for me, serious at that point was my dad was in advertising. He was an ad man. And um, I thought... I'm going to be in advertising too, you know, I'm going to be head of an agency. That's that's the goal. When I was 18, I had the luck of getting accepted into UCLA and I came to study communication and then I thought I was going to go communication law, first amendment, uh, a very serious route um and one day I realized, what am I doing? I'm here because I love film. I'm in LA. Now I can actually yeah. make this happen. This is awesome. So I remember writing a letter to Andy saying, okay, we're making movies together. You know, that's yeah. that's it. You'll direct and I'll produce. And he was on board. Uh, well, he, d- he did had he to have be. a choice. <laughs> so no, Sounds he, like a good problem to have, it, though, right? You know what? I always <laughs> tell, I, I had... Um, lunch uh last week with um five directors uh that were coming through a, a, a Sundance fellowship they had already all done either documentaries or their first fictional films and what i noticed in all of them and i told them go find a producer go find somebody that is behind you yeah 100% because it's such a tough business it is it, it 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 is hard, and if you don't have someone that is pushing the cart with you, yeah, you'll get run over by it. It's 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 hard. Yeah, will you speak to some of those hardships? Um, they're daily. <laughs> they're daily, even in success. Yeah, a movie is a miracle. That's why I have such a hard time when people ask me, "What do we think about this movie or that movie?" I have a hard time speaking in a non positive way of a film because you know making a bad movie is hard yeah it's it's a miracle anything gets made right because there's so many parts of that process where anything can derail at any point even when you have your funding even when you're in the middle of shooting even when you the movie's in post like so many things can go wrong so the fact that anything gets created one is a miracle and then released is another miracle and then watched by people in this day and age is like just it's that's the new sort of triple threat (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a rarity and the film business is truly like the pinnacle of human businesses it's a hundred percent human and that's why some films are not 
uh, spectacular because there's so much humanity in the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's no science to it, even if, you know, more and more in, in studios, you know, we have, you know, MBA doctorates trying to... Trying to figure uh, out crack the data. Know, crack the code. Yeah. There's no code. There's no code. You know, every movie is... A miracle. So, you know, hardships. Um, What are the the hardships? Um, Getting the money. Uh, Getting the money is... is, Always hard. Is hard. Um, And even if you're like in a comfy studio situation, like we've been for the past four years because our two films were um, financed uh, by studios because they owned... You know, Warner Brothers, New Line, they have the rights on the book. So we've worked with them. And I have to say that we've been so blessed and so lucky. And I'm not bullshitting about this. We've been very lucky to have, um, you know, partners at at New Line and at Warner Brothers who have been incredibly supportive through this process. But, you know, every day is... You know, yeah, it's it's a fight because they themselves are are trying to have a balance between what is business and what is art. Mm. And because no one really ever knows what is going to work and how much it's going to work. And they are trusting you with. A lot of money. Right. <laughs> a lot of money. And in a way, they're trusting you with their jobs. Yeah. Um, because a really bad movie, like a financially unsuccessful yeah, movie like at a studio, mm-hmm. you know, wipes out a good a amount lot of, of people. people. I think a lot of people who don't work in the business and are not reading the trades regularly don't realize that, that when movies, big movies that cost a lot of money don't work financially, um, that a lot of people lose their jobs over those yeah. decisions. And the psychology of that is interesting because it's it, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what the issue was. But I think to show stakeholders and shareholders, like, we're doing something about this. We're going to try something new. We're going to re- try to reinvent the wheel a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know how well that works. I'd be curious if these MBA guys are really looking at data. I want to see that data. You know, you this know? is this is an important point. I uh, the other day I, w- I was talking to an ex assistant um, who's Canadian, and uh, she's coming to work in LA, and she was asking me about what kind of experience uh, she wants to be a producer, and she wanted mm. what kind of experience what I recommend she has, and I told her. You know, I never had this experience, and I wish I I had had it. Mm. Um, Work in a studio. Work in a studio to stand in other people's shoes and see the other side and be curious and ask questions and see how the flow of those, you know, studio budgets go. Because I'm, you know, as a producer, I understand very well my budget, mm-hmm. my production budget, and even starting to understand, you know, the, the the marketing budget, although it's not up to me, you know, right. the, the studio decide, but but I ask and I, you know. Yeah, you want to be involved so to, you can learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I am fascinated by, you know, how the performance of one film could, can destroy 
the fourth quarter of <laughs> of a studio <laughs> of a studio. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, that right now is all in my imagination because I I was never in a studio living that. Yeah, that reality. And, um, mm-hmm. I would I would love to know more about that, yeah. to be honest. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. In that same yeah. uh, thought process, I would invite all of our studio friends to work in productions. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes, because you and it doesn't have to be long. I mean, seriously, you know, a month on a set, you learn a lot. Again, it's a very human business. And sometimes you can finish your day in eight hours. Sometimes no, I've I've never finished a day in eight hours, actually, (laughs) never. Um, Sometimes you can finish your day in, in 12 hours. And sometimes you really can't. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that if there if there was a way that part of earning your stripes and getting to have access to certain kinds of opportunities came with this caveat, similar to getting into the unions, right? Like the DGA <laughs> has one of the most like insane amount of days that you need. Yes. And by the time you get there, most people like who go, go on to become ADs are already having breakdowns because they've been doing this for a decade in their 40s <laughs> and they're, you know, really like having heart attacks. So, but it's like, I think that the Screen Actors Guild should have mandatory days that actors have to work as a PA to get into the union. If this is industry-wide, then we as producers have this mandate to know, okay, well, on every show, there's going to be that one hire who we know is the person who's there to learn this. And that department head is responsible for making sure they understand what this is. And it may be frustrating, but it's going to create a much more understanding, inclusive industry to everybody's struggle, right? Like, I would love to have that insight as well on what it's like to be in those shoes. But how do you get that insight without being in the studio system for a decade minimum. Well, I think it's harder from our side, from the independent side or yeah. the producer side to to get a, a, a job in the studio, especially once you've yeah. you know, you've been into production for a while. You know, studios could when they have new hires, you know, in the in the lower levels instead of positioning it as a privilege, no no, you're not ready for SAD. You'll go to SAD in five in five years, do it from the very uh, onset. You yeah. hire an intern, or you hire, a, you, hire you know, a, the you know, second assistant. Send them to a set for a month. But like, no one is ready for set. It's you just are thrown into the fire and you figure it out. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you, but you learn and you see that how hard it is to make mm-hmm. a movie. Yeah. Physical production is no joke. And no. that's that's where the, I mean, yes, the movie is made in post and cutting, but you can't cut good stuff if you didn't get good stuff on the day. And yeah. there's no amount of visual effects that's going to change that, unfortunately. No. Lord knows a lot of people have tried <laughs> to fix, you know, bad movies that weren't good on the day. It doesn't post. work like that. But I will tell you that we, we had an amazing cast on chapter one, of course, and chapter two, again, yeah. just glorious. But, you know, concerning our conversation, uh, Bill Hader was a PA for a long time. And and that changes his first. And, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, saying that our actors that were not in, in production were not absolutely adorable because yeah. they they were but when you talk to like hater and and you see how he you know deals with with changes and with people on on set um you can tell yeah 
that guy uh, swept um, swept stage floors, basically, <laughs> you know, for, for quite a while. Yeah. I think the more you understand the inner workings of anything, but especially yeah. production, the better it makes you at the very specific thing you're there to do. Mm-hmm. So the more you understand what a PA has to go through or what anybody's going through on set, it's going to make you a better actor, in my opinion, because it gives you the confidence to show up and know that, okay, that person's here to do this and that person's doing that. And actually they're in the zone, not the time to talk to them or bring this up. You just kind of start to understand the sort of energy that is this workspace that is impossible to explain to anyone who hasn't experienced set life. You know, so I do think it should be like, mandated it's the long hours the, the long, long hours that's the stamina for that right and like who are you going to be at that 13th hour on a friday when you've had really long days and how are you going to deal with these problems and still be a person of integrity all the producers i know that i respond to from what i perceive of them like people like you to me even though i don't know you and i haven't worked with you in that way i know that that's how you are on set it's just the vibe that I know because I've been in this world for so long, you know? Your crew is everything. Yeah. And how you treat your crew and hence how they respond to you. And they respond to you in work. You have an incredibly close relationship. When they when we talk about my set family, uh, it's true because you spend more time with them than you'll ever spend with, you know, with your own family in waking hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, it's important. It's important also because these are hierarchies that have to come together very fast. And contrary to commercials where, you know, you don't get along with a couple people and in three weeks you're not going to see them again. You're not going to hire them again, or they're not going to hire you again. Film is a marathon. And some people, you know, my VFX team on this one, I will have seen their faces pretty much every day for two years. Mm -hmm. So you need to establish good, solid relationships. and understand the human factor and we're all tired and we're doing something that is not natural or normal because right. <laughs> movies are neither and you know sometimes you have to be extra understanding yeah um and i'm sure that sometimes they've had to understand me because i'm human too yeah so it's it's very important to make sure that this you know house of cards yeah kind of you know well you built the best foundation you can right yeah that's all you can really do because like i always say that you can't really guarantee the outcome of anything that's the Mm -hmm. magic in the bottle but the one thing you can control is the experience that you're going to create on set for the people that are on the train with you right to me that's like the best compliment ever is when someone steps on any of my sets and feels the good vibes and yes it's hard i'm not saying it's kumbaya people still get angry people still yell and lose their temper but how are you going to deal with that how are you going to show up for yourself and for others and keep the train moving and keep people sort of in that same line just got to get to the end of this and we're going to make the best with what we have and we're all human and we're all in different wavelengths at every single day because we're 
feeling different things at all the time, you know, every single second of the day times 250 people. Like that's a huge undertaking and understanding that psychology is so important. And I think that's, that's the magic is how can you make people feel heard and understood and supported because the crew is your family. They are your collaborators. Every single person in that process is important at a specific moment in time. Yeah. And the rules change mm. every time you change the geography of <laughs> right of the film and it's different shooting here than it is to shoot in Miami or in Georgia definitely different to shoot in Canada South Africa Romania you will be more successful at your job if you learn to adapt quickly. Right. That's period. That's I think it. That's the secret sauce. Um, yeah. Because, you know, what we do as producers, our, our number one job, I find the, the reality of our job, the, you know, the, the, the bottom line is solve problems all the time and <laughs> make decisions all the time and some are tiny tiny and have no consequence and others are massive and have tons of consequence even when you don't realize how that's going to trickle mm. so in that sense and in order to do that to to make those decisions and to solve the, those problems, you have to understand that, you know, the, the, your films will be completely different one from another. Mm -hmm. The crew will be different. Even if you work with the same crew four years later, you know, why, why does the, why is the grip so slow? His knees hurt. Well, yeah, he's four years older and he hasn't stopped shooting while you were, you know, yeah. developing. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it is about adapting. It's about understanding evolution and change mm -hmm. and mostly, you know, empathizing and, yeah. and understanding that we are doing every day something difficult and something new because that is the, the second important chunk of producing apart from making decisions solving problems is that you're going to be faced with new stuff all the time mm -hmm. from every corner it's not just you know that there's <laughs> there's new technology or that you're mm -hmm. shooting a new movie with a new director or not yeah it's just it comes from everywhere it's, yeah it's not you know there's definitely no routine in filmmaking just like there's no routine in producer. Now I'm going to change a little bit the subject. Yeah. But I get asked all the time two things. What does a producer do? It's impossible to explain. It's just like, I, I do everything, you know, yeah. everything that you're not thinking of. I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, but also when I get, you know, asked, well, but how do I learn producing? You know, how do I get into the business? How do I produce a movie? I didn't really have a producing mentor. And in a way, like I say that I would have loved to have 
a, a studio job for a while to understand mm. more the, you know, the, the dynamic of the studio. I would have loved to have a, um, a producer as a mentor just to learn shortcuts. But I, I jumped, you know, I jumped the fence like, like you did. I, I didn't really have that step. And I, you know, when I produced Mama, I was like thrust into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mama was a very complex. Now I look at it and it's like, how did I do that? You know, why, I mean, how did I think I could do that? That's yeah. the most, you know. Well, that's what makes you a producer, right? You're like, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way. Um, <laughs> we were like, you know, we were finding soft money. I didn't even know what soft money was, you know, when people were like, you know, the, yeah, but what's your soft money percentage? I'm like, what is soft money? What does that mean? <laughs> so, Will you explain what that is for the <laughs> listeners? Soft money is money for free. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, basically, what soft money is in you know in in Europe, for instance, the film business works primarily on subsidies, and rules change all the time. So I'm going to quote the what was happening in in Spain uh, three four years ago. Um, basically, the government through their um, cultural um, ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, would force networks to reinvest 5% of their earnings in film production. So you would go to a network and say, because they were forced to do it, they didn't like it, but they were forced to do it, they would have to choose what projects they wanted to Mm -hmm. invest in. So you would go to a network and say, okay, I have this project and... This is the money that I estimate I am going to get from the Ministry of Culture because they would finance, they would match, for instance, mm-hmm. your spend to a 50% capped on, you know, I don't know. In, in, in those days, I think it was, you would have a cap of 3 million euros or something mm-hmm. like that. So they would, they would give you up to 1.5 million. The federal government would. And then in Catalonia, you could get another subsidy for 150,000. Right. And then you would go to the local TV and then you would go to the nationwide TV and, and get more money to make your movie. That's the only way to finance your films. In but Europe. they weren't treated like investors, right? Where they're expecting a return. No, 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 no. It's just it's, money you get to keep. It's money. Like a grant almost. It's money you get to keep, but it's money that they don't give you until two or three years after you've delivered uh. the film. So it's very tricky because you are basically getting loans on that money and bridge loans in a way interest. and yeah. interest is for movies is insane and a part of the subsidy basically you can only hit the top of the subsidy if your box if you hit a certain box office so if you if you make a complete dud you're not going to get as much money as you projected and then you won't you know you owe the bank wow um, yeah and and, the, and i admire spanish producers and a lot of european producers because as collateral you know they're putting up their houses it's that's it's, insane yeah. yeah i didn't know that <laughs> oh yeah for the love of the art love of the art yeah. you know and crazy that's soft money for soft you money guys. okay yes and mama was a spanish canadian co-production canada is a well-oiled 
subsidy machine. They're they're fantastic, actually. Yeah. So there is a treaty between Canada and pretty much any country in the European Union. So we used that, and we ended up collecting in soft money about thirty five percent of the budget, which wow. is massive. Wow. Um, but I didn't know. You know, I, yeah. I kept on going. No one was stopping me. So I'm like, okay, let's just keep, keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like that uh, imposter syndrome. You're like, I'm yeah. just going to keep doing this until they find make out that I make it. don't know. <laughs> I mean, still today, you know, like, so there's probably three days a year when I feel, okay, I think I'm accomplished. Um, <laughs> the other 362, I'm figuring out how to do how do you how do you deal with yourself on those days like what's the thing that you come back to that kind of keeps you going and pushing forward on the days where you don't feel accomplished hmm. i'm ambitious you know and i've always respected ambition ambition without you know you don't have to screw anybody it's i'm ambitious about myself and my work ethic and growth and I want to make things better. And I happen to have a partner who's my brother, the director, who's a perfectionist. So we are always striving to make things better. Yeah. For that we get in trouble all the time because, you know, <laughs> we're you know, we're like getting to deliveries on the last second possible because we keep on changing things to make them better but that's who we are and it yeah. works so yeah. we're not going to change it so you don't have periods of your life or maybe you have where you've been sort of sad and down and you were like putting all the energy and you had all the ambition and maybe you weren't getting the return on yourself that you were expecting and sort of felt why am i doing this like what's the point of this like you've never gone through that spiral i know i i i don't really think of what is the point of this? Mm. My thought pattern is interrupted right about when I'm going to get to that place. <laughs> There's like an iron door that <laughs> comes down and stops me from the full reflection. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I have bad days all the time because, again, what we do is, is hard. Yeah. You know, we are, I'm producing. A film right now with another director who we love. Andy and I are producing him. And we never got an answer from an actor that we really wanted for the role. And, you know, it's a combination of, but why? The script is awesome. The director is awesome. This is right. great. But, you know, I don't know. The guy is, like, directing a movie. His first, I mean, the, the, the actor is directing his own movie. Busy. Yeah. You know, don't take things personally that's right you know that's and and again you know what always helps me is put yourself in other people's shoes mm. so your self-worth is not tied to any of the success that you have or no. your professional identity i guess no 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 i can i can always you know i'm um in that sense i am relentless and whenever somebody knocks me down mm. my brain immediately goes on i'm gonna fucking show them I, I can't help it it's this has been happening since i was it's genetic two years old yeah, yeah. it's just how you were you're made so yeah. it, and i can't help it so i don't know maybe one day i should allow myself to 
to, you know, say, but why? And I don't. You know, no, just I like, don't think you necessarily have to. It's just interesting to hear the different perspectives because some people that I've talked talked to, interviewed, and know personally, there is a lot of that because w- women, especially who are very ambitious and driven in this business, tend to make what they do the primary focus of their lives. Oftentimes, it's not to say there isn't other things that they love or care about, like families, you know, God willing, or anything else, any hobbies, travel, I don't know. But it does create this interesting sort of um, special kind of human. And so some people, when they're faced with these challenges I'm talking about, they have that perspective <laughs> where they're just like, I don't fuck, I'm just going to go. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going. But some people, they they have this cycle where they go into a downslope and then they're able to somehow return and emerge from the ashes a little stronger. But just people have different ways of handling that. And so I'm always curious because of I know how I handle it and it's not well, I'm getting better. <laughs> so I guess it's more of like a personal question, you know, because I'm always so curious how, like I said, there is this perception that we all have of someone's life or what they must be like or how they tolerate this or like someone may assume that you love going through hair and makeup, you know, when you're doing press. And so I no. think it's great to hear the realities of what, what it means, what it takes, what that person responds to or doesn't respond to. So that's that's why I was no, poking you for it. But I, 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 and this is something I must admit, I have a huge advantage on that, which is that, um, you know, I work with the person that I've known for, it's going to be 45 years pretty soon. Yeah. And um, we have our own little support uh, duo. Yeah. Um, and he once told me, uh, when you work on your own, you have 100% of the pressure. When you're working with someone who you trust and love, it's not that you have 50% of the pressure. It's that the pressure dissipates. Mm. You don't have the pressure at all anymore yeah in that sense i've been lucky because when whenever you know we we get a rejection or something not so palatable happens we have each other and it's Um. like screw it but you know that is just a part of it because my brain has always operated even in my personal life dating or whatever it's like i'll show him I'll show him. (laughs) Total badass. So Coco, who's like the person who brought you up to me, not that I didn't know who you were before. She was like, oh my God, she's like the best. She's a total badass. She's like, I want to be her when I grow up. Coco Kleppinger, who's a casting director. She cast the first. It, did she cast the second? Did they cast the second? Oh, yes. Okay. I would have not made this movie. <laughs> that was a dumb them. question on my part. And I I yeah. will not. That's one of the people actually that I don't want to work without is Rich D'Elia and yeah. Coco. Because and Coco. Um, they, you know, this, the second the second film, of course, we have people that are you know no names but there's also people that we would have never imagined and Andy was set on finding the exact adult doppelganger to to the yeah. to the kids and Rich Delia found did him. that and he Coco um, so I don't want to work without yeah. him yeah that's yeah. good to hear he probably knows that <laughs> <laughs> And that is where we will pause.
was this week's conversation. I hope you'll come back next week. It gets even better, even juicier. Tackle some other very interesting, more personal topics, actually. I found Barbara's honesty and candor to be really, really refreshing, especially for someone at her level. Oftentimes we can put our own perceptions and ideas of what someone must be like or what their experience is like, which I know I speak often about on the show, but it's so refreshing to hear it firsthand, you know, how we're all just trying to find our path and that it's never as easy as it looks. And I think Barbara does a really good job of painting that picture. So I'm grateful to her. I'm grateful to you for listening and tuning in week after week. If you don't already, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, review, like, comment, you know, the deal, wherever it is that you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Life with Kaka. Thank you so much for doing this life thing with me, and I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>